It's another Saturday night in comedy, and tonight we get into the pre-Valentine's spirit. Well, kind of. With two of the top headliners this country has to offer, from club and festival favorite Dave Hempstead, with his own twisted take on love and romance in our doomed times coming live to Toronto, and our favorite host with the most, Ali Hassan, now with an all-new memoir. Lots to get into with these two absolute titans of Canuck comedy. I'm Dean Young, and we're about to go inside the joke. Welcome to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to an all new Inside Jokes, baby, right here on 640 Toronto. And of course, as always, streaming nationwide on the Global News Radio Network. And in fact, everywhere all over the universe where there's pay internets. Brought to you as always by our lovely friends at Hakeem Optical helping you spot doomed relationships since 1967. How about that? Because today's episode has a little bit of a pre-Valentine's theme to it. Kind of. I mean, it's comedian's takes on Valentine's, so pretty much all the romance is already automatically sapped out of this episode. We got our producer, Vince Tedesco, on the air with us. How are you doing right now, buddy? Welcome to February, the month of love. I just want to break the fourth wall a little bit for our listeners at home who tune into this show every week. You know, all all bakers dozen of you out there. Uh, here's how here's how our show works these days in a pre in a post pandy world. Because as you all know, on Inside Jokes, we call it the pandy just to make that more fun. Uh, we used to be in a radio studio. Now we come to you on the radio via Zoom. Our producer Vince Tedesco is in what used to be our radio studio but is using a Wi-Fi on his cell phone to record a radio show on Zoom, even though he's literally in a radio studio. That is a little glimpse inside our journey, inside jokes, listeners, and fans. But yes, Vince, it is, it's a mixed bag, this episode, because we have returning headliner, club comic, and one of our favorites on the show, Dave Hempstead, is back with us. He's got a Valentine's-themed show coming up live here in Toronto at the all-new Comedy Bar 2.0, Comedy Bar Dose officially known as Comedy Bar Danforth. Uh, so are we? is romance dead, Vince? We're going to find out who better than to tell us than a stand-up comedian. And a little later on in the show, our good friend Ali Hassan, when he's not out there acting or touring or hosting 10 different of his own radio shows, he's now out there shelling a new book. So he's got an all-new memoir that's out. Lots to get into tonight. A little bit of love, a little bit of bacon. We'll explain why later. Right here, right now on Inside Jokes. I'm just a regular joke. With a regular job, I'm your average white suburbanite slob. I like football and porno and books about war. I got an average house with a nice hardwood floor. Welcome back to Inside Jokes, baby, right here on 640 Toronto. And as always, streaming coast to coast, Canada-wide, North America-wide, planet Earth-wide, universe-wide, everywhere where there's pay internets on Global News Online, brought to you, as always, by our friends at Hakeem Optical. Comedians getting slapped in the face in full Technicolor. It is the end of our first month of the new year in comedy, and that means it is time for our first full roundup of 2023, recapping all the strange things that have happened in comedy and pop culture this past month, kicking off the new year. Uh, we got a full panel. It is all West Coast comics. It is full Van City tonight on the roundup. We've got Ola Dada. How are you doing, man? I'm very good, my man. Very- Good morning. Welcome back. To- I was going to say Merry Christmas. 
We've had you all on. All of you have done the show at some point or another the last couple of seasons, which we, we just gave it. We're just calling it the pandy because let's make that more playful. But it is nice to have you all on and sort of kick off this new year, recap what, what's starting the year in comedy. Randy Newmeyer is with us on the panel. How are you doing today? Hi, good. Um, just secretly taking photos of Ola eating. <laughs> and I'm it is also 9 a.m. on the West Coast, so that is extremely early for comedians. I appreciate that from everybody. Sean McDonald is with us. How are you doing today, man? Good. Uh, I'm well. I realized I didn't change my uh, my Zoom name from when I met with Jacob Balshin like, like two, two months ago. So it's coming up as Sean and Jacob right now. Cool. That's fine. We could have gotten a bonus comedian, but he's not from Vancouver anyways. So fuck that guy. We don't need him. And last but not least, we have a keyboard Charles on the air with us once again. Uh, you, we also checked in with you during, again, we're just calling it the pandy on this show because let's have some fun with that. But it is nice to check in with this full panel and just weigh in on some of the stranger stories that have kicked off this new year of comedy. Uh, we'll start with the lighter one, a lighthearted one. It is a bit of a strange one, though. M&M's is getting rid of their animated logos that have been like the spokes mascots for that candy for years and years and years and replacing them with a comedian, a real live person. Maya Rudolph is the new spokesperson for M&M's. Seems like a strange choice. Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, I know... My Rudolph's interesting because she's not quite, quote-unquote, a household name, but to any comedy fans, she, of course, is. But even audiences that maybe aren't, you know, comedy diehards, still she's a recognizable thing. And, you know, a lot of us, obviously, a lot of our listeners know her from her SNL days, but she's kind of in tons of comedy series, tons of comedy movies. Interesting choice, though, for a spokesperson for this candy brand, especially in, you know, the last couple of years, comedy has... There's sort of been a lot of controversy surrounding stand-up. There's been a lot of things that have happened in the news and things that have gone viral. This is kind of a lighter story. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think this is a sort of a nice, happy note to start the new year in comedy off with? I think well, that change is hard. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the new Eminem slogan, change is hard. <laughs> and gooey and the center filling. Because it's nostalgic, the M and M's. Well, I were actually two, there were two words. They had the they changed the shoes on one from high heels to kind of like running shoes, and then everybody complained about that. And now they just scrapped them all together. It was yeah. weird having like a sexy M and M though. That part was weird. Who's paying what was weird about it? Who is paying attention? I've never looked at the shoes on M and M's. You got too much time to talk this. I'm I'm sorry. That's <laughs> I, my, I, was just, I didn't. Even, I had to go search to look what them shoes they had prior. <laughs> it's the shoes. It's the eyelashes. It was like everybody was getting into it. And I don't know. Now the saying is, if you go woke, you go broke. Because M and M's got into a lot of heat over that. I feel bad. At least, at least outside of comedy, other people are getting canceled now. You know, it's trickled down to the chocolate city. <laughs> <laughs> it that, is that's a great choice, though, going from that yeah, to just a comedian. <laughs> Why is this news? <laughs> like, like, I don't understand. Why is this on deadline? Yeah. I don't understand. All this shit going on in this world, why is this? Why do we care? Either you buy the M&Ms or you don't. I don't, like, why? That's we, the world like, we live in now, Akiva. Like, the stuff that actually trends and, you know, goes viral when we're literally on the brink of World War Three and, you know, climate collapse. It's like, no, but M&Ms, though. 
They got but rid of the, the high heel. Manakeem, are you like a, a chocolate guy or a peanut guy? I like chips. Oh, you like chips. <laughs> You're more of a salty. I like chips. I like chips. I don't eat sweets. I don't eat candy. But I mean, only like I, who, like we talk about diversity. We had the red M&M. We had the yellow M&M. Then we had the green M&M, which threw a little sauce in there because we needed female representation. And then we had the blue M&M, who was a little bit over. What is, I don't understand. What more do you want? This is when we're going to find out, though, that this entire time, Amy Poehler has been filled with peanuts. Yeah, and, and, uh, Keem, I don't know how to break it to you, but uh, the Pringles, man, they're actually turning into a Chinese man. Oh, my God. Oh and they're shaving his mustache. That's true. They're shaving his mustache. Who had time on their hands to actually get pissed off enough about anthropomorphic M&Ms? I mean, it was weird having a sexy, long-legged candy. I don't know what they were going for with that. That was a little bit off-putting. Tucker Carlson did. He had a big problem with it, apparently. Yeah. He had a big problem with it? Tucker what? what are the odds? Well, at least it's not Skittles, because those are the ones that melt in your mouth. <laughs> Not Those are my favorite. Zone. I love Skittles. <laughs> you like a Skittles. I thought you didn't eat candy, Akeem. I mean, growing up, I like, growing up, I like Skittles. <laughs> if I were to eat one candy, it would be the Skittles. That's it. But oh. it is interesting, though, problem. because it's 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 again, it's it's this weird. I mean, I don't know who watches TV commercials anymore. I guess on YouTube, but it is a weird form of exposure for a comedian to be a spokesperson of this candy. But it's sort of we're kicking off the year with a lot of that stuff. And one thing I want to get into later on the panel is. We're back to, and this was always an old school thing, but we're kind of swinging back to it. We're back to the era of comedians being tapped to host award shows all the time. Uh, so there's a lot of that coming up, which is good. Um, hopefully none of them get slapped in the face. That was a last year thing, but we are sort of circling back to this time where comics are being put on these platforms again. And, you know, we're coming out of sort of less controversial things and we're going back to comics being able to post these shows and be spokespeople for things and just sort of riff on things and make things fun and light, which I think we can all agree after the last couple of years in comedy and just in the world in general, we probably need some lightheartedness. I would say <laughs> going uh, Dean, I gotta give you, I gotta make a correction. Yeah. Comics and Ricky Gervais are allowed to say whatever they want. Yes. That well, and here's what we're going to get into later, by the way, Akeem, because I do, I am curious what, what everybody thinks about just how unfiltered comics are allowed to go doing these. Because I, my opinion is whether it's the Globes or the Oscars or the Grammys or whatever, I know there's different audiences, but I mean, why hire a comic to MC something like that and not let them be a comic? Why do that and then put restrictions on them? Why, why did you hire a comic in the first place? What was Billy Crystal busy this year? I don't get, you know, if you're going to hire an actual stand up to host something, let them do it. Ricky Gervais is the perfect example of that. But anyways, that's something we're going to get into a little later. Coming back from the break, though, with our roundup panel, there is a massive elephant in the room we need to address and a very big story to kick off 2023 in comedy. We're going to get into it right after the break, right here on Inside Jokes. Hey, this is Dave Hempstead, and you're listening to Inside Jokes with these guys. Welcome back to Inside Jokes, baby, right here on 640 Toronto and, of course, coast-to-coast, Canada-wide on the Global News Radio Network, brought to you by our good friends at Hakeem Optical, so you can see all those red flags from a mile away. That's because love is in the air. It is pretty Valentine's, and what a more romantic place to be than Saturday night a.m. pseudo-conservative talk radio talking to Canadian Canadians. There's nothing sexier than all those things. 
Dave Hempstad is on the air with us. Of course, has a new Valentine's-themed show coming up this Valentine's weekend at Toronto's new comedy bar on the Danforth. That is the second home of Toronto's famous comedy bar. Dave, I do want to ask you, as, as a comedian, as an, an astute observer of the human condition, and now that you're doing this themed show, and I know love and dating and romance has played a big part in your act over the years, is, is romance dead, do you think? In the age of not just post-pandemic, <laughs> but as a com- as a comedian, as a person who you know trolls the darker outer linings of life, do you think in the age of online dating apps and random hookups and OnlyFans and is Ray's love dead? Do you think, or do you think you'll see romance bloom <laughs> at this I, show? Well, I thank you for nominating me to speak for all humanity. This <laughs> <laughs> is. I couldn't tell you what's happening with the 20 year olds. I got no idea uh, what they're up to or what that looks like. Uh, I know this much that the internet is a very divisive place. Yes. And uh, it seems more so now that uh, uh, people are determined to, to separate and put you on a team. Uh, if you go online, you're either with us or against us, etc. And I like, uh, you know, when I started comedy, I always thought the job was to bring the room together. I don't like splitting the room. I want yeah. the whole crowd laughing. Everybody paid their tickets. So as far as I'm concerned, you're all the same. I don't I don't like politics in my comedy shows uh, because I don't want to lose half the room. So yeah. for me, love love is always in the air whenever I'm doing a show because I want to bring a bunch of strangers together and have them laughing and having a great time. So uh, um, as far as romance goes, uh, you know, obviously when you've got kids and dogs and stuff, the romance uh, takes a backseat to, to survival. <laughs> Just getting through the day. It's not like, uh, I don't know, it's not like I'm dropping on the sexy underwear these days and lighting candles. I don't know. Uh, I don't <laughs> Dave, know what you're, you're talking. Uh... You're talking love politics now. What if half the room's into SM and the other half is into like rose petals and chocolate well, kernels? I, I do have to imagine. I mean, just as much as we're finally, you know, just as much we are seeing, I think, a bit of a boon of people going out to live stand up again right now because of the last couple of years. I would imagine the dating and hookup apps have to be through the roof right now too, because people have been pent up for two years and now they're just probably out there like jackrabbits. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you figure there, if, <laughs> is there a hugging app? Is there, is there an app? Just <laughs> <laughs> an emotional <laughs> support <laughs> app. <laughs> yeah. Just get together and have a nice hug and maybe a chat, a cup of coffee or something. Does something. That go on, or is it all just, or is it only your perverted fantasies there, Vince? Is it only just S and M? Only mine, that's for sure. People yes, with 100%. spikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I gotta believe there's a, a need for companionship for those who are stuck at uh, home during a pandemic. I mean, there was two sides. Sorry, the pandy, as you like to call yeah, it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We're making a uh, fight right. on the show. You've come to our side. There was two sides of the pandy, right? Those who who couldn't get any time alone, and those who had nothing but time alone, right? Yeah. So. I guess I guess they had a handy pandy. How's that? Too soon? <laughs> You're under the pandy. Under the pandy. <laughs> I think. Right. I mean, I love. I, yeah. I, I, I do love what you said too about you know sort of checking the politics and all that stuff at the door. I mean, yeah, some comics get into that stuff, but I feel like one thing that we were sort of seeing a lot of in comedy before the last couple of years, before the pandy, was everybody felt always like every comedy show had to have a message and you had to preach. And there was a lot of shows and a lot of specials where it was like, 
it's getting kind of hard to tell the difference between what's a stand-up special and what's a TED talk right now that you're watching. And I think now, after the last couple of years that we've all collectively come through, there's nothing better than being able to go to a comedy club and the lights come down and a stand-up gets on stage and you check all your shit at the door and you get to just escape for 90 minutes and laugh at your problems and laugh at the world around you and just be entertained and just put life on pause. I think that's so important and something that we lost for a while. It's so important right now, especially after the last couple of years, is just being able to go out and, you know, leave your coat at the door and be able to laugh at life for a bit and forget about real life for a bit. Cause we've all been inundated with this stuff so much the last couple of years. Yeah. It's nice when comics are doing jokes. I think, you know, I see a lot of comics these days that, uh, you know, they, they talk about their life and stuff and I'm like, well, that's not a joke. That's just something that happened to you. Yeah. You know, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't supposed to be on stage therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your life. Write a joke. Damn it. So I like when the comics have taken the effort to uh, to mine it a little bit, put some wordplay in it, and and say something that's relatable. As a kid growing up, I mean, I was a huge fan of stand-up, uh, you know, my entire life. And I always loved when a comic had a way of saying something that made me feel like, oh, wow, I can't believe I'm not the only person who's had that thought. Or, yeah. Oh, amazing. Somebody else thinks that, too. Fantastic. So I like comedy that connects. I like, I think comedy is a very powerful tool that way to... You know, if you can laugh at something, you're no longer its victim. So I think comedy does have the power to heal. And uh, and so I love comics that are trying to connect and, and trying to bring people together and also mining themselves, not just because here's something that happened to me, I'm going to tell you, but because in this thing that happened to me, you'll probably find a way to relate to something that happened to you similar. And then we can all laugh because like, Haha, isn't it funny how life works? Yeah, which I think honestly, after, you know, after everything that sort of everybody collectively has come through, it's like, that's, that's what we were missing. That's, that's just the joy of being able to go out to live stand-up again and watch this happen. Uh, Dave Hempstead, we could talk to you about love, life, romance, philosophy, <laughs> all damn day long. Uh, but before we let you go, where can we find you online? Where can we, of course, get tickets to these upcoming shows, catch you live, all that good stuff. Where can our listeners basically watch you live and, and or stalk you? That's what we're looking for. There you go. Well, you can go to DaveHemstad.com, H-E-M-S-T-A-D. That's my website, DaveHemstad.com. If you want to get tickets to this amazing Valentine's show with Kate Davis and special guests, February 11th at 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. And then on Tuesday, uh, uh, Valentine's Day, February 14th, tickets are available at ComedyBar.ca. Uh, definitely come check out this amazing venue, this fantastic show. Oh, listen to me, sounding like a silly producer. And gross. <laughs> there we go, Dave Hempstead. Thank you so much. Do not miss him. And of course, the fantastic Kate Davis, plus special guests coming up live February 11th and 14th at Toronto's new comedy bar on the Danforth, comedybar.ca. Dave Hempstead, thank you so much, man. We appreciate it. Anytime, Dean. Cheers, Vince. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is Jesse Camacho from the movie Bandits. And you're listening to... Uh, Inside jokes, you're very lucky. Welcome back to Inside Jokes, baby, right here on 640 Toronto, and of course, streaming coast to coast, Canada wide on the Global News Radio Network. Brought to you as always by our lovely friends at Hakeem Optical because you can't swipe right with blurred vision. How about that? Love Bye. is in the air.
Thank you again to our friend Dave Hempstead. He's got some Valentine's shows coming up. Now we are switching gears. We are taking it home with our longtime friend of the show, Ali Hassan. Every time he joins us, he's got like, I don't know what the hell. He's got 18 radio shows. He's writing books. He's in half of the shows on Canadian television now. He's touring all over the place. He's he's really making us all look like shit in Canadian comedy, quite <laughs> frankly. Ali, can you stop showing off, for God's sake? For once, Take can you come all... on the show and just be like, I got nothing going on? I got, I got you. You don't be careful what you wish for. Let me just say that. There might be a day it all gets canceled. It all gets shut down. They go, man, we just realized that there are better options out there for everything. And then I'll be here and you and Vince will be like, how do we get rid of Ali Hassan? <laughs> He's on talking about nothing a whole lot. Well, we do always love it because, and I mean, even, even, you know, during the last couple of years when all, everything went on sort of pause and all that kind of stuff, you were one of those comics that, you, I mean, obviously you had to work within the framework of what was going on, of course, that happened to everybody. But I mean, it's always a pleasure having you on the show because yeah, you're nonstop. You're con I mean, you have a new memoir that's coming out. You're wrapping up this tour that you've just done, this latest tour, because last time we talked to you, I think half a season ago, you were of course on tour with Dave Merhej doing something else entirely different. Oh yeah. You're always out there acting. We hear you on satellite radio. We of course know you well from CBC radio. It's just always great to see because you just sort of, this is a day and age now where so many Canadian comics, I think have finally been forced to figure out, listen, I can just take matters into my own hands and go out there and sort of strike out new territory and build my own audience and sort of be my own manager in a way. This is you. You're one of those comics that's constantly doing that. You're always spinning all these plates. And I think a lot of comics look at that and go like, yeah, I can't really sit around and wait for things to happen anymore. Yeah. I think uh, I was telling somebody the other day, my favorite quote ever was actually about baseball. You remember Kevin Pillar? I don't know how well you know baseball, but yeah. Kevin Pillar, nicknamed Superman on the Toronto Blue Jays for the period that he was here. He was like, um, baseball owes you nothing. And he said, right. I always remember that. You are owed nothing by baseball. And I was like, oh man, I just have to insert comedy in there. And that's the greatest saying ever. Comedy owes you Nothing. So those who think that they're due something or why isn't this coming to me, that's a whole lot of time wasted um, thinking about how things can come to you when you could just sort of go and do as much. And, you know, even at my stage here, plenty of rejection. And, and that's that's just part of the game. There's there's no way around it. You know, rejection and disappointment is there. But then you just focus on the great stuff that does happen and the great opportunities that you do create. And sometimes they come to you, right? The other the other piece of advice that I always love was um, myself and Faisal Butt, we are out with Hannibal Burris one night, early, yeah. early Hannibal Burris. He's performing at the Horseshoe. And we both know him. Uh, he's just started to make a name from him. So he just left Saturday Night Live as a writer a couple of years prior, just starting to make... We go yeah. out with him. We go for drinks after his show at the Horseshoe. He he he's at a stage of his career. He can't believe there's a couple of other comedians who want to hang out with him in Toronto. You know what I mean? Like it was just, it was just fantastic. He will never get we'll never get that type of audience with uh, with Hannibal Burris again. But then Faisal Butt late late night after we leave him uh, decides to go on Facebook and goes, "Let me find Hannibal." I I'm just so impressed by this guy and what he's doing. Let me ask him something. So he he writes to him. Uh, on the Facebook messenger and he's just like, Hey man, can I ask you a question? 
And then he sees the three dots. He's like, oh, Hannibal is awake. It's two in the morning, whatever it is. And Hannibal writes back, write a lot, perform a lot. Don't be an a-hole. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> and then it's like a pause. And he goes, did I? Did that answer your question? And Faisal goes, no, but actually, yeah. That's not what I was asking. But at the same time, that answers everything. And I just love that. I just love that. I mean, if you just dig in and focus on those three things and you stay, you know, doggedly determined to 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 keep that, those plates, those three spinning, then things will come to you eventually. You know, people want to work with you. People like what you're doing. You're you'll like yourself. You like what you're putting out there. You're constantly working. There's a sense of fulfillment. So sounds very easy. It's obviously not. But I think that to me was like one of the greatest things. I'm like, that's that's just it. That's the simplest thing to tell somebody and so hard to execute. But when executed, that's that's the ticket. That's the that's, ticket, baby. That's all it is. The, the game is the game, baby. Here's the interesting thing, too. I mean, obviously, yeah, you and we have some West Coast, Coast dates to mention, but you're, you know, you're, you're out there, you're doing this tour right now. Does this taste funny? And now you're dropping this new memoir. Or you, it's already out. Is there it's big- out? Yeah, it came out in the fall, yeah. and I uh, when I tour, I take it with me. And it, Steve Patterson gave me this advice. He goes, "You'll sell more books on tour when you're doing comedy shows than any." I was like, "Really?" Because I did a book tour, but in fact, I'm selling double, triple the amount in person after a comedy show than I was on a book tour, and I didn't think that was possible. But yeah, you make a special connection with people when you're on stage doing stand-up you really do i mean i i should have known that but i also didn't know the world of book book tours but i've had book festivals and i guess when people are at book festivals they're like well this is a festival i don't know how many books i want to buy and i can't buy all the books i want to buy so some people are like very cautious with their thing but when it's just you and you've proven yourself to be uh, an entertaining person on stage People just uh, dig in and it's been great. It's been really, really something, you know, a lineup 25, 30 people deep to buy books and the lineup looks even, you know, it's just one of the two people buying books. So it really looks like a long lineup. It's double the people. It's half the people who are buying, but it's like double, triple the people. And um, I really like it. I really like it. I really like getting this um, direct contact with people who tell me where they know me from and what they enjoyed of mine and, uh, what they hope me to, to see me do. And it's it's good. It doesn't feel like work. I remember many, many years ago watching Russell Peters do this and Maz Jobrani do this when we were in Jordan. I mean, Russell Peter had, you know, those were like 100 plus people in line and he made it look easy. And I think I get it now. It's because it's yeah. not work. It's part of the fun of being a comedian. It's part of the fun of like, this feels good. I got to, I got to reward my fans. They reward me. He made it like he had a different line for everybody. Hundreds of people coming to talk to him and he had a different thing to say to each one. And I remember being like, that's insane, but yeah, there comes a time where you're like, no, this just feels natural and it feels good. Well, and these must, I mean, obviously of course, there's a common thread to all of this stuff. I mean, for you as a comedian, you know, there's something that ties your tour is related to your memoir in a way and is related to your radio shows in oh, a way yeah. and is related to your standup. But these must also be very different outlets for you because, you know, you get to say stuff on stage as a comedian that you're probably that don't, don't find their way into your show when you're on the air on CBC. You're writing this memoir in a way that you don't write your standup material. So these must be all just very sort of 
outlets that must be sort of cathartic each in their own ways that that where you get to focus on something that okay this book is a different outlet for you and gets to pull you away from being on stage all the time and the way your material is there these must be very sort of i don't want to say therapeutic but definitely channeling different sides of your brain into these different projects yeah yeah you're absolutely right it's interesting it's a great observation not many people think about that you know there's a bit of a through line like you know, the book isn't about my years living on the streets, drug addicted and into, you know, porn for like a, a half. Of, I mean, it's not like the, you know, a completely different Ali Hassan, but definitely yeah. people learn things about me. Friends have learned things about me. They're like, man, I thought I knew you 10 years. We've known each other. This is a whole different side of you. Um, I think they're different uh, stories being told in all these venues, but also the way you tell them is significantly different like i am at a stage where i can do 85 to 90 minutes on stage in a storytelling show and in my mind that's the toughest thing you can do however when you start writing a book it's so much more difficult it's so much more difficult you know my editor i would send stories to my editor and i was like i think i want to see this in the book and my editor would be like uh okay this is a great story loved it Got a bunch of big laughs on it. You know, I thought it was hilarious. But why are you telling this story? And I'd be like, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, it's a story and it's funny. I'm just telling the, what do you mean why? I don't, it's not something you ever ask yourself as a comedian, really. Yeah. You don't need a context. You don't need to think what are people going to get out of this story? What, how does this uh, relate to my overall uh, message of my, you know, my whole theme here of this book? It would take me sometimes two weeks. Every day I'd give it some, why am I telling this story? Why am I telling? Because, you know, as a comedian, you go, uh, you go, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm walking, walking down the street yesterday. I see this guy and that's it. You're into a story. That's your whole context. You don't need yeah. to give anything else. It's so simple. And this was like, why are you telling? And there was a couple of times where I really couldn't answer it. And we had to agree that maybe it doesn't belong in the book. Good story. Maybe maybe save it for something else, comedy, another book. Uh, and other times I would take some time to think about it and I would tie it to, I want to tell this story because this is what connected to me, uh, connected me to my father. And this is what drives me to be a better father myself to my own child. And I've never thought of like, I mean, just weeks, man, weeks yeah. to come up with that because it's just not how my brain works. The why is not something you tap into. So that's been very interesting to think about not just the different platforms, but how to tell stories on all these platforms. It's very, very different. Is there, and I mean, this might be kind of a tricky one, but is there, at this point, is there one certain place where you feel sort of the most comfortable and the most at home? Because I mean, all of this sprung out of stand-up, of course. That's, you know, yeah. that came from you pounding the pavement and coming up in comedy clubs and all that. But I mean, you know, the radio shows came from you being a stand-up acting came out of there. This book came out of there. These tours came out of there. It all started with you being on stage in these rooms in front of a live audience. Is there a place right now where you sort of feel the most yourself and the most at home? Cause yeah. I know these all give you two very different things at the end of the day. Does it all go back to that live stage though? Is that sort of where, it where does. you feel the most yourself? Yeah. I just did 10 shows in, in Ontario in, in 10 different cities and uh, I just felt the most comfortable I've ever felt. These are my stories also. 
I don't have to be like, what happened to the, you know, I've told these stories. I know these stories. I don't have to be like, oh God, I hope I don't forget the punchline. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. very comfortable. So it's just my own like solo show that my one man show is where I'm most comfortable. Um, even a couple of weeks ago, a week before I went on this 10 city tour, I really, I ate it at a, at a smaller comedy venue in the city. And I was just like, oh my God. I was like, these people are breaking me. This is stuff that usually this is my A stuff. And uh and and it's not working. And and despite the fact that that crowd broke me, and I even wrote to the I had to leave the show uh to get to another place, but I wrote to the producer. I was like, Can you tell me what made those people laugh? Like my curiosity about who they were and how, cause I, I was there for another uh, 10 minutes to watch the comedian after me. She couldn't crack them. Yep. And I felt alive, I felt alive, man, even though I had not done well. And I was, that's what comedy does for me. It makes me feel alive in a, in a significant way. Acting is wonderful, but who knows how long till you see the final product. I feel right. more alive on set, joking around with people, uh, you know, when they go, we'll do one take for the camera, one take for the room or one take for us. That second take, I feel the most alive because it's a performance based thing. You're trying to make people laugh. So, yeah, nothing beats that. Nothing beats it's, the it. It's sort of more real and organic. That's perfect. There's something I want to pick your brain about there when we come back from break. We're going to come back with more inside jokes right here with Canadian comedy's own all around renaissance man he's literally everywhere he's like a walking city tv he's everywhere we'll be back with more ali hassan right here on inside jokes hey this is lorena pages and you're listening to inside jokes and honestly i love it and thank you for having me in it <laughs> Welcome back to Inside Jokes, baby, right here on 640 Toronto. Brought to you, as always, by our lovely friends at Hakeem Optical. Blocking out those UV rays this upcoming nuclear winter. How about that? <laughs> I love the from... fresh, fresh, hot take on every single Hakeem Optical right? promo. Good for we, you, Jess. We I keep mean, it current. Good. We yeah. keep it current. And I'll tell you, by the time we hit season eight of this show and Hakeem realizes they've been sponsoring this the entire time, they're going to love it. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> but of course, Ali, I mean, you got this new memoir that's out. You're wrapping up this, your latest tour. We, of course, know you well from Canadian television, CBC Radio, Sirius XM. You are all over the place. But it's funny. You were telling us just before the break how, you know, you were getting ready to hit the road and do these dates. And you do, as comics do. You just hit a little club here in the city and hit a workout room and just go hone some material. And every once in a while, even at this level, every once in a while, it is still possible to go out there and eat shit. It's the room that night. It's the crap. Whatever it is, it still happens. And you said you feel so alive because, you know, when you're on the air, it's a very much a specific thing. When you're when you're writing a book, it's a honed, polished thing. When you're acting, you're stepping behind a character. But nothing sort of replaces being out there live on stage because every single show is just that moment. It's raw. It's organic. It's natural. And there's always that element of anything can happen. And for you, even after this point in the game and where you're at now, is it still kind of cathartic in a way to have like a good healthy bomb like that once in a while? Because you know when you're coming up, there's always a lesson in that, right? It's like, well, why yeah. did I why did I lose float tonight? Why oh, yeah. did I eat it? 
you learn the most when you bomb. I don't know what I learned from that night. That was just, I was baffled. Like I said, I messaged her afterwards. I was like, what, 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 what do these people want out of life? Because the, the, the woman after me, the comedian who followed me was dirty and I'm not dirty. They still didn't like right. dirty. Um, they, you know, even like crowd work, they were lukewarm on. So I, I didn't get it, but you know, I, I learned this a long time ago and, uh, kind of learned it by accident, but when you have a lot of irons in the fire, as they say, you know, this is what I've been described as. It's very, I, I find it very healthy. Uh, no one can control your emotions. Because I used to have one singular focus in life, which was I wanted to be a chef on the Food Network. Right. I wanted to teach people how to cook. That was all I wanted. You you would know that because, Dean, when I met you, probably all I was talking about was that. Yep. And when those auditions didn't go well, they they hurt real bad. I was just like, what am I going to do? This is all I want to do. It's my only focus. As comedy started to become something, as I got a family and children, as I was being asked to, hey, can you punch up a script? Can you do this? Can you work with this person on their speech? They want to make a look at whatever random stuff that came my way. All of those things helped me not take a bomb so personally that I want to punch a locker in or something. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like depression. I don't want to drive off a cliff. It's really just like, wow, I sucked. <laughs> I don't know what happened there, but I feel like, wow, I feel like I just got a hit of some, some hard drugs there. I feel very alive, you know? Uh, and I think it's great. And I, I, it's not something that now, let me tell you quite frankly, had that been my set, and then the very next night I went on tour across Ontario, I might have been a bit shaken because I right. might have been like, what, what, okay, that material has to work on stage for like several hundred people. And it didn't work for 30. What's going, what's the, I would have lost faith in the material. Take a day, take a day or two, chill out, take a step back. And it's fine. You know, I don't have uh, my heart and my whole soul doesn't sink when I bomb, but I, I still think it's a good thing. I think, I think, I think you owe it to yourself to do a good, proper bomb from time to time. Well, and I think, honestly, one of the, I'll say, ingredients to your success, because we do know also your your chef background, I, of course, can relate to that. But I think audiences who have followed you this entire time and, you know, to the place where you've come now, audiences who have been watching your stand-up over all these years and now listen to you on the air and all that, the memoir kind of comes along at a perfect time because your stand-up has always been deeply personal and i think if the key ingredient in comedy is relatability i think that's where a huge amount of your audience has come from because your stand-up has always been very honest and it's always been really a timeline of what's going on in your life and watching your material evolve and change but you as a person because those people who remember your early material where you were talking about coming up as a chef and you were talking about montreal and you're talking about down and out times to where you are now where a lot of your material is very much about marriage and family life and being a father and being a family man just that trajectory for for people who have been paying attention to your comedy all these years and seeing that trajectory, this memoir is just coming along at such a perfect time because it really encapsulates all this. I agree. I agree. It it really did feel super timely. I mean, the pandemic helped, gave me some extra time to write. Um, but also, uh, you know, my age, I hit a milestone. I felt like genetically who knows how long my dad's first massive heart attack was in his 50s i'm just a few years away from that from the age he had his 
first heart attack. My grandfather died in his fifties. Another uncle of mine died, you know? So it's like, you know, I don't, I don't look at like a lot of people like you're too young to write a memoir. I'm like, listen, this is a comedic a biography or comedic memoir. I think, uh, who knows? Write another one in 20 years if I survive the next 20. But um, who knows what? Well, nothing is promised to anybody. So I really found an opportunity to embrace the day. And now this show called Does This Taste Funny, which I'm going to tour, that is a another sort of look back at all those days in, in food and all the years I devoted to food. And it's with a healthy perspective because a lot of that's in the rearview mirror. There we go. I love it. And I love how all this stuff ties together. Ali Hazan, always a pleasure, my friend. And again, it's it's infectious because every time we talk to you, you're always like, here's the new thing I'm doing. And I think for other comics, especially that listen to this show, it's it's always a good perspective to have. Before we do wrap it up with you, uh, where can we, of course, follow you online, check out these upcoming dates, get the memoir, all that good stuff. Yeah. Standupali.com is the website and that, and Standup Ali is Twitter, Instagram, all the rest of it. And you can see my upcoming dates, which are from Manitoba through to uh, the West Coast to Victoria or Victoria, Vancouver Island anyway, uh, right till April, March and April. There we go. Ali Hassan. Love it, my friend. Check out StandupAli.com. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. for having you on again and seeing you out there on the road. And I can't wait to check out that memoir, man. Thank you, dude. I'll send that to you directly, brother. Thank you, brother. I can't wait. All right. Cheers, buddy. Always a pleasure. Hi, this is Alicia Carusi, and you're listening to my aunt, Sandra Carusi's Comedy Rx. This week's Comedy Rx is Dave Hempstad. I've gone away with uh, women on trips, and I've gone away with guys, and it really is different. Um, with girls, uh, there's a salad that the day is based around. <laughs> and... To get to make it is a big deal. It's a big honor. And then after your dinner, you sit around uh, talking. That's it. Just talking. The whole time I'm listening to the girls talk about roughage and fiber and all these mature subjects I'm trying to pay attention to. No one ever says, hey, I bet I could whip this knife into a stump. <laughs> fun like that. The other girls don't go, yeah, and how many throws? Barb, get your nail polish, make a bullseye. Let's do this. That never happens. And I go away with the guys on a cabin trip. My girl helped me pack. <laughs> That's when I really realized how different uh, we are. Because I'm going away for three days. She goes, you go away for three days. Uh, how many uh, pairs of underwear do you need? Oh, seven. <laughs> Minimum. You can't, you can't change clothes at the cabin. You can't change clothes, unless you throw up on yourself. That's the only reason you're allowed to change clothes. You can't be with guys and go, oh, is it lunch already? Be right back. <laughs> Gentlemen. I've got iceberg, romaine, I could chop up some walnuts. This is gonna be, come on, you're gonna want the roughage. <laughs> 